Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, we'll be taking a look at chapter one of the book of Revelation. Enjoy the message. I was a senior in high school back in 1999, all right? So for some of you, are like, you're young. Some of you are like, you're old, all right? Well, guess what? I'm kind of the in-between phase now. It's kind of weird. Uh, but yes, I was uh, on the marching band. Anybody in the marching band in here when you're in high, this is participatory, so raise your hand high. If you, some of you don't want to admit it, all right? So you're on the marching band. I was on the marching band, and we were able to go to the Cotton Bowl and do the Cotton Bowl halftime show. And so I, growing up in, south, in southern Iowa, I thought that was pretty cool. So we took a Greyhound bus. Uh, we drove... Uh, all the way from southern Iowa to Dallas, Texas. We marched in the parade. We did the halftime show, and then we went home. And it was particularly the memory that I remember is going home because we were on this Greyhound bus, and we went through a major, major blizzard. If you remember back in the time, 1999 had a major blizzard that not only hit Iowa, it hit the Chicago area. So you probably remember that blizzard. And so we were driving through this blizzard. I remember falling asleep in the middle of the night on the bus, and I woke up to seeing complete whiteout conditions. You couldn't even see the road, but yet this bus driver was going about 80 miles an hour, all right? He was like clocking out his bus. Apparently, he needed to get to Kansas City to switch bus drivers. He was almost out of bus time, all right? So I guess that meant he can still go whatever he wanted. I remember just thinking, I only had my driver's license for a few months, so I was like, I think this is against driver's ed, all right? I don't think we're supposed to be doing this. And eventually, the bus began to kind of fishtail a little bit, and people began to wake up. Some people began to cry. A lot of people thought, this is it. This is the end. We had such a great cotton bowl, but now we're going to die on I-35, all right? And so I thought, what can I do during this time? If our lives are in peril, what should I do? If you've ever been on one of these Greyhound buses, you know back in the day they used to have these big old giant TVs above your head, right? And there was a VCR, and I had in my backpack, yes, I had a copy of Left Behind on VHS, all right. Now, Left Behind, this isn't the Left Behind you remember with Kirk Cameron. This was a Left Behind that they made in the mid-1990s that they based the Left Behind that everybody else saw. So the Left Behind that you probably saw was a B movie. This was a C movie. And I had it in my backpack because in one year's time, it was going to be Y2K. And at Y2K, guess what was going to happen? The whole world was going to fall apart. The electrical grid was going to go away. People were prepping, and Jesus was going to come back. And so I was ready, and I, I figured, well, you know what? We might not make it to the year 2000, so I'm going to pop this bad boy in the VCR. So I snuck it around. It's fishtailing. I'm doing this thing. I take it out, and I put in the tape into the VCR, and it begins playing all throughout the bus. And then people begin waking up. They're kind of freaking out. Then they're seeing this apocalypse sea movie playing on all the TVs in the bus, and people are starting to scream louder and and finally one guy stands up and goes enough of this and I oh he's yelling at the bus driver no he was an atheist and he was yelling at what was on the tv this is religious and we are a public school you cannot play this and I'm like right whatever and so he finds himself walking in the aisle and shuts off the video and again we made it I guess we didn't need this video but I was trying why because I thought that Jesus was going to come back in the year 2000 and I thought that maybe we weren't going to see the year 2000 so we needed to prep right away well, I share you that story because I am just shocked. If you would have told me 20 years ago we would have made 2020, I'd be like, no way, we're not going to make it past the year 2000. But here we are. We're still here, and we're still waiting. So the question is when? When is Jesus coming back? The book of Revelation deals with the things of the end. Theologically, this is known as eschatology. That's a big theological word for the study of the last things. 
Revelation is often misunderstood. It's often misinterpreted. And it is subsequently one of the most underread books uh, for the church. I've had a number of people even this morning in the lobby saying, I have never heard a series in Revelation. And I'm going to tell you, I've done an abbreviated version back in the youth group days. I have never done what we were going to do now. And I'm going to tell you, I'm kind of freaking out right now, right? This book is hard, but just because it's hard doesn't mean we can't understand it. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it won't command a blessing that we go through it. And I'm going to tell you, I believe God is prepping our hearts right now that this is the right time for us to go through this book. Amen, church? And there's been an increased interest in the end times, especially since 2020. And why now? Because the world has taught us that everything that we know can be turned upside down in an instant, in a moment. Whether it's a pandemic, whether it's uprisings, uh, whether it's trying to figure out how we're going to navigate situations, whether it be the loss of loved ones or sickness or rumors of war. I mean, we stand on the precipice of another major war breaking out, the biggest one they said since World War II. We'll see. We'll see if it's rhetoric. We'll see if it's real. But no matter what, what happens is, is when we begin to see the world turn upside down, people begin to ask questions why. Why and what does this mean? And I'm not talking about just followers of Christ. People, if they're alive, they're asking why. Why are these things happening? They're beginning to see their life, not as this life, this existence that's into itself, but they begin to ask deeper questions. Why am I here? Why am I facing these things? And what does this mean eternally? And it's not just Christians asking these questions. Everybody are are asking these questions. People that have never stepped into church are asking these questions. People that have, have left the church and have left Jesus behind are beginning to ask these questions again. And as I've said for many weeks, if you've been with us, is that People are asking questions, and is the church is the church willing to share the answer? Is it willing to share Jesus? If you even do a Google Analytics search, people are, are asking spiritual questions. And if the church isn't willing to share the answer of Jesus Christ, they will find the answer somewhere else in falsehood. They'll find it in false spirituality. They'll find it in tarot cards. They'll find it, uh, they'll find it going to mediums. They'll find it going to bootleg Christianity such as, such as Jehovah Witnesses or, 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 or Mormonism. They'll find it in places where there's absolute corruption. It's not God. I would say it's even demonic. So my question is, are we willing to, first off, know the truth? And are we willing to share this truth, share the hope of Jesus Christ? Are we, church? It's, it's easy to say, yes, we will do it. But are we going to do it? Do we actually believe that Jesus can come back at any moment to where it creates urgency, that we need to do this? Some of you have various interests in the end times. Some of you are curious. You come here today curious, ooh, book on, we're going to study a, a book that hasn't happened yet, that's in the future, I'm in. Some of you are curious this morning. Some of you are freaked out. You're like, all right, I'll do this, but it kind of freaks me out to think of the end of the world. I'm going to cautiously go into this, but I'm kind of freaked out. Some of you, you're coming in here and you're a conspiracy theorist, right? You're like, all right, I can't wait. I was like, I know Russia's going to invade Ukraine, but there's this guy right here. And I know this is like, you know, Revelation chapter, you know, 18 being fulfilled right here. You know, some of you are just doing the theatrics and, you know, you're, you're reading the newspaper. You're, who reads newspapers anymore? You're, you're reading the, the, the news online. And you're like, revelation is coming alive right in front of us. Well, it might be, it might not be. I don't know, but some of you are coming in here with that kind of mindset. And by the way, if you are in that mindset, I do want to caution you. This is a series that will vastly disappoint you if you think that we're just going to talk about something so that we can hunker down, put the tinfoil hat on, and say, Jesus, please come back, please come back, please come back. No, no, no. The reason why we're reading this is because, and this is what I all hope that our hearts will be realigned to this morning, is the urgency. 
the urgency that Jesus can come back at any moment, the urgency that, that eternity is, is in the balance for every single heart and soul on this planet, the urgency that a world turned upside down can only be turned right side up through Jesus Christ. And here's, our, here's where we need to be this morning, is we need to be made right with God, if you've not been made right with God, and you can only be made right with God through Jesus Christ. And the church needs to be found on mission. Woe to us if we are found off mission when Jesus Christ comes back. Right, church? Woe to us. So no matter where you're at, God wants to realign our hearts to his word, to the book of Revelation. In fact, I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. And God wants to realign our hearts. The book of Revelation will serve to warn us. It will serve to rebuke us. It will serve to encourage us. It will serve to motivate us. In the book of Revelation, as we study it, we will see the rise up of a demonic world system. We'll see the rise up of the most powerful dictator called the Antichrist. We will see the church taken up right before the seven-year trip of which God begins to judge the earth and it will culminate in what's called the battle of Armageddon. We will see the 1,000 year reign of Christ on earth. We'll see a, a final rebellion of which Christ will crush it immediately and in eternity we'll see Christ ultimately triumph over Satan where he brings forth a new heaven and new earth where, where there's no longer uh, any, any sickness or pain or death or cancer or poverty or depression or stress or anxiety or boredom or dissatisfaction but rather it's pure worship. Worship that words can't even and express worship that we realize this is what we were made for this is the book of revelation are you ready are you ready church are you let's get into it revelation chapter one verse one the revelation of jesus christ that god gave him to show his servants what must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the prophecy, the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep it what is written in it, because the time is near. I want us to focus on a few things in the first three verses here. We see that he's coming back, he's coming soon, and that the time is is near. So I again, we're not going to encourage you to build a bunker uh, and, and hide in it, but to build faith and to be on his mission. Again, I want us to move away from conspiracy. It's okay, by the way, to speculate. We're going to speculate a lot, but I'm going to I'm going to separate speculation from what God's word really says. All right, is that cool? All right, because there's going to be a lot of speculation that we could be wrong on, and I don't want us to place and build a faith on speculation, and then it's a house of cards and it falls. We want to build it clearly on what God's word says. Jesus Christ is coming back. This is what the, God's word clearly says, and he can come back at any moment. And so uh, we, that we will see that this book will build courage in you and I to stay on mission. So here's the main point. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to take notes. There's absolutely no way you're going to remember anything in the book of Revelation if you don't take notes, so I encourage you to do that. But here's our main point for this morning is his return is our motivation to stay on his mission his return is our motivation to stay on his mission revelation chapter 1 verse 1 let's do some background here we're gonna we're gonna kind of work our way through this i know there's gonna be some things like oh man i wish he hit on this we have other weeks to go in fact our first part of this will take us right up to easter all right so we're gonna take some time revelation chapter 1 verse 1 it says this the book the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servant what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. 
Now, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John in around 96 A.D. Uh, this was a letter. It was, it was a letter written to seven churches in Asia, which today is modern Turkey. Uh, this was not only a letter, though. It was a series of prophetic words from the Lord. A prophetic word, when you receive a prophetic word, is, is instructional. It's used to build up. It's used to correct your course and to direct you what God is doing. And so this is a series of prophetic words. This is also a book that's apocalyptic, which means it's full of imagery and sometimes confusing imagery. As Americans, we are typically not people that speak in imagery. We speak in facts. We want just the facts. But what we'll see here is there's going to be some rich imagery. Sometimes uh, humans are spoken in, in, in terms like an animal. Uh, colors sometimes will have specific meanings. Numbers will have specific meanings. And, and again, this can be foreign to our culture, not so much in Semitic culture of where this came from. Uh, but what happens, the reason why God employs uh, uh, apocalyptic language is so that it not only just goes to our mind, but it's remembered in our heart. All right? So uh, apocalyptic language, even though it'll use uh, uh, different imagery, it never is just something that's theoretical. It's always something very, very true. All right? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do the hard work of uncovering the true meaning of what Revelation means and what that means for us today. So it was written in 96 AD by John, the Apostle John, under most, the most dire circumstances. Uh, we see these dire circumstances in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 says this, I, John, your brother and partner in affliction and kingdom and endure that are in Jesus Christ, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so uh, John, the apostle, had been uh, exiled to the island of Patmos, and it is here that he writes the book of Revelation under the most dire circumstances. Let's give you some background here. His buddies, his friends, his co-laborers in the gospel, uh, Paul, Peter, Timothy, by AD 70, were all killed for their faith. All of them gone uh, because of Jesus Christ. Uh, in faith in Jesus Christ, they were executed uh, by various people. By AD 70, Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans. The, the very temple itself had been destroyed. And Nero blamed a fire in Rome on the Christians in which many Christians were killed, sent to the Colosseum and fed to the lions. Some Christians were, were, were battered up in, in uh, wax and lit like a candle at night. And so the whole city of Rome would light up with burning Christians. It was brutal for Christians. Many of them dispersed all throughout the land and in fear for their life. And John was the only apostle left alive. And yet he had been boiled in oil and he was by himself down to Patmos on the west coast of Turkey. What was his crime for exile? He says it very clearly, preaching and spreading the gospel of Jesus. It was dire. He thought, when's Jesus coming back? Is the church about ready to collapse? But then God showed up. God showed up and God said, it's not done yet. Let me speak to you. Revelation chapter one, verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. So he's, God shows up 
when he feels like that he's all by himself, it's all collapsing, it's like been a house of cards, it's gone. When he's like, God, where are you? God shows up. He says, right, I'm about to tell you some things. Man, that should serve as an encouragement to you when you feel like you're all by yourself, when you feel like society is flipped upside down, when you feel like, is God's church still a bright, shining light? Is, is, is Jesus, you, maybe you've even had this thought, Jesus, are you actually gonna come back? The answer is yes. He's with you right now. We're part of an era called the church era where you're to be a bright, shining light. He is with you, and we see he was with John. But for the last 26 years, as he begins to write this prophecy, the church had been under intense persecution. Now, I have a question for you. This is participatory, all right? I need your hands up. I know sometimes they're like, oh, what? no, no, participatory, ready? How many of you are 30 or under in here today? Raise your hand up high, 30 or under, all right? Lottie in here, okay? 30 and under. Now, here's the deal. If you're 30 and under and you're living during this time, you would have never known a church without intense persecution, Yes, the church was persecuted before this, but this intense persecution was, if you go public, you will die. Your baptism could be your death sentence. For the last 26 years, which means 30, you may be 35 or 40 and not even remember it. Nobody knew what it was like to be a church that didn't endure intense persecution. Listen, I just wanna say this for us. I know sometimes we feel persecuted and there are things that are wrong that are thrown our way or freedoms that are, that are, that are being shaken up and, and, and it all starts somewhere. But I want you to know this, is that nobody's known persecution like this era. And yet the church thrived. And yet the gospel could not be stopped. In fact, in the third world today and in many nations around the country, North Korea or China, people are killed for their faith every single day. There will be martyrs today. There will be people that are worshiping right now, be arrested, thrown in jail, tortured, and killed. And yet, you think that's gonna stop the gospel? No, it didn't stop the gospel. Today there are 200 million Christians in China alone. The gospel can't be stopped. And that's what I think is beautiful about this intro to the book of Revelation. When it seems like all is lost, when it seems like you're weakened, when it seems like there's no way you can move forward, when it seems like where is the kingdom of God, you got to realize the kingdom of God is here, it's advancing, it's moving, and nothing can stop it. No dictator, no naysayer, no, no depression, no discouragement. God keeps on marching forward, and he's saying, are you coming with me? The Lord showed up. He showed up to John on the Lord's day, which was on a Sunday. And I love how he showed up. He likened it to like a trumpet blast. He, I imagine he was just sitting there on a Sunday, probably thinking through, you know, when he was with Jesus, right? Maybe he had a few copies of some of the New Testament. He just kind of like looking up the clouds and all of a sudden, whoa, what was that? It was the voice of God saying, right, I have something to say. And Jesus made it clear, he is coming back and he is coming soon. His return is our motivation today to stay on his mission because he's coming soon. So as we stay on his mission and until his return, I wanna focus on three things this morning. Number one is this, write this down. Jesus is coming back at any moment. What does coming soon mean? He can come back at any moment. Let's go back to Revelation chapter one, verse one again. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must, let's say it together, soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testified to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So we see that word, the revelation of Jesus Christ. See that first word, revelation? That revelation of Jesus Christ in the original is where we get the word apocalypse. This is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, when we think of apocalypse, we think of like a, you know, a, a number of movies, maybe Armageddon from the late 90s. You remember that, right? You know, <laughs> we had a bunch of apocalyptic movies in the late 90s and, 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 and we think like, oh my goodness, it's just doom and gloom. Actually, apocalypse is actually not a bad word. It means a word of uncovering. It means a word of revealing all right, and so this is a, to understand the apocalypse of Jesus Christ is a good thing. It's, he's, he's bringing us literally revelation. He's revealing to us how things will unfold. The word apocalypse is used 18 times in the New Testament. And it's first used when Jesus was an infant and being dedicated in the temple. Uh, the older man who saw, uh, saw Jesus, he basically said, this is the apocalypse. This is the revealing of, this is revealing to the Gentiles and to the glory of the people of Israel. People are like, oh, no, apocalypse. Like, they weren't doing that at all. They're like, oh. They leaned in. Like, wait, did he say that's the Messiah? Apocalypse. He's 18 times. It means unveiling, uncovering. The Gospels was the revelation of Jesus as he humbly came to the earth to live and to die to die on a Roman cross. He willfully died and he suffered to stand in our place. The cross was painful, yes. We often focus on the pain and the excruciating pain that he endured when he was nailed in his hands and his feet. Whenever he had to take a breath, he would, he would tear the tendons. He would, he would displace his back and the muscles would be displaced. His, his lungs began to fill up with, 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 with blood. All right, I mean, he, he, he encountered intense, intense pain, but the biggest pain was this. When he was on the cross, he stood in our place. He stood in our place. He hung on the cross in our place to take on the wrath of God. That was the pain. He who knew no sin took on our sin in our place. Jesus came to be humbled, to be punished for our sins. He took the fall so that we can stand on his forgiveness because everybody who places their faith and trust in Jesus alone will be saved. Why? Because his Death on the cross was sufficient to pay for every single one of our sins, past, present, future. And because he's a perfect sacrifice, death couldn't keep him. He rose from the dead in victory. His first revelation, the first apocalypse, came in humility. And 40 days later, he ascended back into heaven. But before he did, he gave the church the marching orders. He said this, Matthew chapter 28, 18. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until what? Until the end of the age. When is the end of the age? The end of the age is when Jesus Christ comes back. So right now, what you see Jesus in Matthew 28, he's inaugurating what we call the church era. The church era is where Jesus gives the church the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down, right? The helper, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Jesus said it's better that he went so the Spirit may come. And so the church is to be the bright shining light of the gospel of Jesus Christ who make disciples, who make disciples, that be a worshiping people to show a kingdom has come and when until the end of the age, the church age. The church age is also called the last days. And so Jesus gave us his instructions. These are his instructions. Some people get tired of his instructions. 
Some churches get on to other things, and we're going to be tempted to get on other things of first importance than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's when you go astray, by definition. This is Jesus' instructions. It means that we don't hold on to our preferences. It means that church isn't about being entertained first and foremost. It's not about how entertaining or engaging I am or anybody else who shares this platform. It's not about if you like the music or not. It's about did you grow? Did you grow in Jesus Christ? Did you know Jesus Christ? Did you place your faith and trust in him? Did you become more like him? Did you go with the message of Jesus Christ? Did you make followers? This is his marching order to the church until the end of the age. And when Jesus ascended back into heaven, the angels immediately warned the first church in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so we see from the moment that Jesus went to heaven, they gave us the anticipation. He is coming back in the same way. And so the book of Revelation is the revealing now of Christ when he'll come back. And when Christ comes back, it's not going to be in the humility that we see in the Gospels where he would die. He's going to come back in victory, full victory. He's coming back to make all things new and to make all things right and to execute his justice. So when will this happen? We see verse 1, soon. Soon it will happen. Let's say that again. Let's say the word soon. Soon. Soon it must take place. My kids... Um, they love to trash my basement every day, all right? And so when I go downstairs, uh, there's toys everywhere. Uh, there's, there's watercolors, papers, all their pictures. It's just everywhere, all right? The whole floor, that whole basement's their canvas. And they know that when I come home, it's time to do cleanup, right? So they know I usually come home at 5 o'clock. And so they're usually pretty good. And when I come at 5 o'clock, they're scurrying around, getting it all cleaned up. But there's some days I come home early, unannounced. And when I come home early and unannounced, you should see their face. I open up the door, and instead of like, oh, daddy's home, it's like, oh, no, 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 we'll go downstairs, we'll go downstairs. They look absolutely freaked out. We didn't know you were coming back. And I said, should have been ready. <laughs> I'm just kidding, though. I, I don't know. I should work on that. They shouldn't be fearful of me coming home like that, right? What, what, what I, I tell them once I'm going to put their toys in Lake Michigan, and they remember it anyway. So <laughs> I will never do that, okay? That's pollution, all right? So, but... But they're like, we need to be ready when daddy comes home. Yeah, you do, but guess what? The reason why I'm telling you this is because we need to be ready. We need to be ready when our heavenly father says, hey, the sun's coming. We need to be ready and have our home in order, making sure that we know that we can stand convinced, stand convinced and ready that we are on mission, that we know him. Because we don't know when Jesus will come back. We know it soon. So we're like, come on, Andy, please, just, just share with me. When do you think you'll come back? Okay, fine. In a couple weeks' time, I'm going to go through, through the reasons why I think it's in our lifetime, all right? Spoiler alert, all right? But the thing is, it might not be in our lifetime, and if, if it is in our lifetime, great. All I know is that when either he comes back in our lifetime or we die before he comes back, no matter what, we stand before him. You get that? We need to make sure our home is in order. I'm not going to give you an exact date, though. Never going to do that. Want to know why? People have tried it, and they've all got it wrong. I mean, the first person that I could see that really tried hard and got it wrong was in the year 999. Uh, the Pope, uh, Pope, uh, uh, I believe, I wanted to call him Pope Sylvester Stallone. It's Pope uh, uh, Stallone, the, no, not Stallone, uh, Sylvester II, all right? <laughs> Pope Sylvester II. 
Anyway, he predicted the world was going to end in the year 1000. Like, he was the OG of predictors, all right? He was like, Y2K? I had Y1K, all right? So, and guess what? It didn't happen, all right? So then in the year 1666, oh, there's a good one, right? Like, all right, it's not the year 1000 when it could be. I bet it's the year 1666. Well, guess what happened in 1666? A big fire broke out in London, burnt basically the whole city down, right? Um, A good chunk of it. And people are like, we know what's happening. What? London is burning. Why? Did did, did, someone knock over their lantern? No. It's 1666. 666. It must be the end. It wasn't the end. Uh, The first televangelist, he tried his hand at it. First televangelist, there he is. First televangelist, and he said uh, God was going to come back. Jesus was going to come back in 1933 when he was wrong. He said 1936 when he was wrong. 1943, that's a good guess. That's the middle of World War II. Uh, and uh, he, he kind of took some time off after 1943, but he started up again. He's like, I'm not getting any older. He's like, all right, we're going to do this again. 1972, wrong. 1975, wrong. And then he went to be at the Lord. So he was, and he probably got a spanking. So anyway, so one, two, three, four, five, five times, five times he, he guessed the date, all right? In 1988, there was the famous book, 88 Reasons Why. I want this in my library. It's just, they want 40 bucks for it now because it's a, you know, it's, it's a keepsake at this point. But 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. I don't, did anybody own that book? Anybody? All right, maybe. And you're like, I'm not gonna admit that, right? So I want that book. If you do, please give it to me. All right, so anyway, didn't happen. And then famously in 2011, Harold Camping said the world would come to end and uh, he got a bunch of people to get signs. They'd walk down streets, they bought billboards, spent their life savings, and then when May 22nd came, they're like, oh, crud, got to mortgage that house, all right? So a lot of people have tried the dates. I'm not going to do that, all right? I can give you reasons why I think that this season is, is ripe for the coming of, uh, of Jesus, uh, but I will not give you a date, okay? Because you want to know why? Because Jesus said not to. Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. The, the disciples were asking, when are you going to come back? When are you going to come back? You're not going to know. Well, what are we supposed to do? Be ready. Be ready. It's fun to speculate. We'll speculate some, but I don't want to speculate over what we need to know. Does that make sense, church? Because if we overly speculate, guess what happens? Ironically, you don't become ready. And, you know, there are plenty of people on YouTube or, or different places that you can find. You can Google it. Well, they're, they're, you know, they're, you can buy a subscription and all that stuff. And here's the deal with all that, you know. Um, it, it's fun to speculate, but we must stay clear on what God's word says. We need to be ready. We need to be ready because soon could take place at any time. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, soon. The church has been saying that for 2,000 years. That's not soon, right? Well, why is he delayed? Where is he? Well, soon in the original, some people tried to rectify this tension by saying, well, soon just means when Jesus actually comes back, it'll be quickly. That's not what that word means, all right? We want, when we go through Revelation, we need to be honest with God's word saying. Not, we're not going to try to wax and wane to try to, you know, get out of a pickle. There's going to be a lot of hard things that we have to wrestle with here. And so we're going to be honest with all that. We're going to be honest all the time when we open up God's word, right? But I've heard some people say that, and it's like, that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says soon, which you know what soon means? He's coming soon, all right? So what's the holdup? It's been 2,000 years, right, since he said that in the book of Acts. Well, we gotta understand this. We serve an amazing God who exists outside of time. He sees all of history as one instantaneous now. Mind-blowing, right? He can see it all in one moment. This is, oh, yeah, I'm gonna go here, all right? Not only 
is God outside of time. And he can see all time all at once. He can see all the possible scenarios that could have ever happened. All right? And yet we are living the scenario that brings him the most glory. Isn't that incredible? And so I know somebody like, I don't know what you just said. I know. It, he's just an incredible, awesome God who exists outside of time. And so here's what scripture says. A thousand years about a day to the Lord. A thousand years about a, about a day. Jesus saying, I am coming soon. He is coming soon. Now, there's a number of reasons why I'll share in a couple of weeks why I think that soon is actually soon, right? But he's coming soon. And the reason why he's saying he's coming soon is it needs to create urgency and readiness that indeed Jesus could come back at any time. There is nothing holding Jesus back from coming right now. There's some people who's like, well, this needs to happen first. Jesus could come back at any moment. Any moment, he could come back before the end of this message. How cool would that be, right? He could come back right now. And so, there are many Bible-believing Christians that differ on when Jesus could come back. In fact, we don't take a stance here at Kenosha City Church of exactly when Jesus could come back. We take the stance that he will come back, all right? There are some people that say, oh, no, that's just in your heart. That's wrong. That's, that's not what the Bible says, uh, I will share with you where I believe in a couple weeks' time. You might even be able to read between the lines today of where I stand, of where I will believe when Jesus will come back. But I'm, I'm saying this in a way to where we got to keep this open-handed. we got to keep uh, open-handed when Jesus could come back. Because if I'm like, I think he's going to come back this way, and then all of a sudden we as a church watch him come back differently, I'm going to like, well, oops, <laughs> right? But he's coming back, and we need to be ready. We need to feel that urgency. That is what we all need to hold close-fisted. So he's coming back soon, and when he comes back, how will he arrive? Verse 7, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who was to come, the Almighty. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back on the clouds for all to see. There are over 500 verses in Scripture that speak of the Lord's return, and one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament has to do with Jesus' return. And when he does, he returns in the clouds. This is imagery of speaking that when he comes, nobody's going to miss it. Not a single, what, Jesus came back? Oh, man, I was really busy. I didn't understand that one, right? Uh, really, when? When did he come? No, it's going to arrest every single person's attention. They're going to realize something has happened. Not one person will miss it. Every tribe and nation will see him, John says in this vision. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But when he comes, I want you to know this. Those that never place their faith and trust in Jesus, it will be too late. It will be too late. We see this in verse 7, the word mourn. Notice that word. At Jesus' return, those who rejected Jesus, it will be too late. They will mourn. That word not as in repentance where they're changing their mind and they're following Christ. It's a mourning of terror. It's a mourning of it's too late. That's why there's an urgency in our mission right now before Jesus comes back. Does that make sense? His return is our motivation to stay on mission. Jesus is coming back at any moment. Number two... Jesus is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his church. Verse 11. And again, there's some verses that we're skipping over that we will actually pick up in the, in the weeks to come. So somebody's like, why aren't you hitting that? All right, we're, we're, like I said, we're slow dripping this like a good coffee, all right? 
Verse 11, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. John was about to be commanded by the Lord himself to send this vision of the end of the world to seven churches in what's modern day Turkey. It was actually on a postal route. And he wanted to specifically speak to these churches, which we'll see soon. Uh, we'll unpack that in weeks to come. Uh, but these churches had specific issues. And so it served as a warning to them, but it also served a practical meaning of this message needs to get out to all of the world. So even though it's addressed to seven churches, make no mistake, it is addressed to every church uh, in the contemporary of the, his writing. It's addressed to every church. Thereafter, it's addressed to us. It is a warning for us. And so John was commanded to send this vision. And when Jesus comes back, we will see he will take his true church with him. He's going to take his church to be with him. The true church is every person that has ever placed their faith and trust in Christ of all time. That's his church. This is what's called the invisible or universal church. It is the church of all believers of all time will go to be with him. Now, this is different than what we see, what we call as the local church. How is the, the invisible church, the universal church, um, seen? It's seen through the local church. Kenosha City Church is a local church. We're commanded in Scripture to gather together as a visible local church. But not everybody who attends a local church, unlike the universal church, the invisible church, not everybody who attends a local church is right with God. Did you know that? The true church is everybody who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus. But the local church, which is how we make visible the invisible church, there are people even sitting here today, I imagine, that you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. That you're maybe you're even assuming you have a relationship with Jesus. You need to search yourself. Have you placed your faith in Christ? I remember when my dad told me this as a kid. We were in church, and he said, yeah, not everybody here might be a Christian, Andy. Not, not everybody here might not be a follower of Christ. And I was just dumbfounded as a kid. I began looking at the choir. I'm like, man, who up there? I began looking in the rows next to me. Who up there? It really freaked me out. I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's why I realized that walking through church doors or attending church doesn't save you. You have to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. You have to personally place your faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You have to believe that he rose from the dead. You have to receive his forgiveness as a free gift. If you've never personally received this, I want you to know you do not stand forgiven. You, you, you stand condemned. And we all stood condemned. But the free gift of Jesus is for anybody and everybody who receives. It freaked me out as a kid. But when Jesus takes his church when Jesus, part, part of what we'll talk about is when Jesus takes his church before, oh boy, I'm going to out myself here, all right? So for, for, if you've been in the church world for a while, you're going to know what view I'm saying. Uh, but he's going to take his church before the worst of the, of the judgments, all right? And the thing is this. When that happens, there'll be many churches still full. Why? Because many churches around the world have lost their first love. And their first love is to be Jesus Christ. We're to, we're to grow in his word. We're to be filled with his Holy Spirit. We're to live naturally supernatural lives. But yet when we become friends with the world, what I mean by that is that we, 
want to seek the approval of people instead of God, when we turn Jesus' gospel into a social gospel, uh, when, we, when we are fighting over preference, uh, many churches will be having a potluck on the eve of Armageddon. So we need to search ourselves. Do we know God? Do we know Jesus personally? We need to search ourselves. Because we can go through the motions and not really know them. How do you receive them? Just freely say, Jesus, I, I need your forgiveness. I place my faith and trust in you alone that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead. It's free. And when you, when you receive Jesus Christ, he's got you. But for many, we're assuming. Or many, we feel like, uh, I'll just figure it out when, when he comes back. Errant, wrong, it's too late then. Jesus is coming for his church, and he loves his church. He loves his people. Listen how he describes his church in verse 12. Then I, that's John, turned to see whose voice it was speaking to me. When I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was like the one, the son of man. Lampstand. In the times in the New Testament, it was common for portable oil lamps to be placed in rooms uh, to illuminate them at night. And God symbolizes the church as a lampstand. We are to be lights of the world. Last week we talked about the church is to be a salt and light of the world. A city on a hill, bright shining light that is not to be covered up. The bright shining light, the hope of Jesus Christ that brings up the grace, the undeserved favor that is for all who receive him. We're to be a church that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit using the gifts of the Spirit to build up the church, to demonstrate his supernatural power. We're to be a bright, shining light. But notice, it's not just a lampstand. It's not a brass lampstand from Ikea. It's a golden lampstand. Golden lampstands were costly. Only kings would have them. And the church belongs to King Jesus. The church is so valuable to Jesus. You know, when someone gets worked up in life, the first thing they like to beat down is the church. Man, this is so popular today. Like, oh, I just, oh, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand the church, right? And you know what? We all probably, if you've been in the church world for any, any bit of time, uh, some of you probably have stories of where you were hurt in the church, right? You want to know why there's church hurt? Because human beings that are fallen, they're messed up, inhabit this room and every room that's ever been called a church. People are like, I just don't want to go to church. This is full of hypocrites. And you? Like, I'm a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites, right? We're all messed up. We all sin. But the moment we think and we're like, we just cast off judgment on everybody else, we are trying to rise above them and we are being judgmental in the process. And what ends up happening often is when people are like, oh, this happened or this happened and I'm just going to love Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to begin to redefine church and I'm just going to, I just want this type of music. I just want this type of style. I just want this type of thing. Whenever people are on side issues, you need to know it's not the side issue you're all about. You've become the issue. Because the church is called the bride of Christ. And he's coming back for his bride. And listen, if you want to make a groom mad on his wedding day, go up to the groom and start making fun of the bride. Start saying the bride is ugly. Start saying the bride is unworthy. Start saying the bride is irrelevant. Start saying, I have rejection of the bride. Who here should stand and say this marriage shouldn't happen? And when we have a problem with the church, we're standing up to Jesus and we're saying, I have a problem. I have a problem with the church. I have a problem with who you call your 
bride, I have something better. You know what we need to do in that moment? We need to sit down, we need to zip it, and we need to get on our knees and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I confess the words I've spoken against your bride because I'm part of your bride. I'm part of the problem, but you came to fix the problem. He is. He is coming back for his church. Jesus just shakes his head. And you know what he wants? He wants a church. He wants his people to say, hey, just chill out a little bit. Take yourself a little bit less serious. And take Jesus serious. And that's exactly what our attitude needs to be. Is we miss everything the Bible has to say. We might know it, but we don't employ it because we're too busy taking myself or ourselves. And we all do this, right? We take ourselves so serious. We, we puff up that chest and like, I just have the all-seeing eye of how things should be. And listen, the moment we take ourselves too serious, you are not taking Jesus serious enough. You want to take yourself serious? Less about yourself, more about Jesus. Amen, church? Jesus is coming back for his church. Third, Jesus is coming back for you. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the key of death and Hades. Jesus is not just coming back for a group of people. You need to know the church is a group of believers. But that group of believers doesn't happen if there's not individual people. And for you to be made right with Jesus, you have to individually, personally, place your faith and trust in him. He's coming back for you. Notice in verse 17, when John describes a whole list of what Jesus looked like, and we'll actually, we'll talk more about that next week. But there's a whole list of what just, just pretty amazing imagery that describes Jesus. And his first reaction was like, oh, whoa, I got to see Jesus. Man, I wish I could tell you know, all my friends. I mean, I'm on this island by myself, so I guess I'll tell myself. And maybe he made a little Wilson, you know, like on Castaway. I don't know. Hey, guess what? I saw Jesus, right? No, that wasn't it at all. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. John saw the Lord. He saw Jesus, and he was undone. He's like, oh, man, I knew it was bad, and no, oh, here he is. John saw Jesus. He was undone. He knew he met his maker. He felt like a dead man. And this is very similar to other areas where people saw the Lord, Isaiah. He says, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, right? And, and, and then he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He immediately saw his sin. And God had to come to Isaiah and, and, and comfort him. We see this in Daniel. He felt like the life was taken out of him when, when he saw God. We even see Paul speak of when he went to heaven in a vision. He, he, he didn't even say it was him, but he was telling a story when he did. And he said, I saw things that are unspeakable. It's normal for people to fear and they feel their hearts beating with a rapid pulse when they see Jesus. Because in the light of God's holiness, we realize that sin that's still in us. Our hearts are laid bare. You feel busted. On a much smaller scale, you may have felt this, you know. 
Maybe you're at home, you're growing up, you're when you're a teenager, you had a party at the house, you didn't think your parents were going to find out. They pulled up, they opened up the door, busted, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's like when you're you know, doing the test that you didn't study for and you begin to have a little cheat sheet or whatever. The teacher finds you and they see that you're cheating, busted, right? It's like when you took the car out when you weren't supposed to. There's no way that your parents are going to find you, but then you're on the intersection of Green Bay and Highway 50 at the red light, and you're like, busted, right? It's on a much smaller scale, but when you're in the presence of God, our natural inclination is to feel busted. But I love what we see here, because if you're in Jesus Christ, you're not busted, you are blessed. You are, not, you are not forsaken. You are found. You are redeemed, not somebody who is dead. Because what we see in verse 17, when Jesus noticed this, he comforts him. He laid his right hand on me. And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There is comfort for those in Christ. Even though you know everything that's in your heart or maybe what you even did five minutes, what you did in the parking lot or on the way or last night or whatever it was, if you're in Jesus Christ, he died on the cross to save you from your sins. Do not be afraid. He loves you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Know this, that nothing can separate you from the love of God for those who have made Jesus Christ his Savior. For Jesus is the first and the last. He is not dead. He is resurrected. He is forevermore alive. He has all authority and he has the keys. Oh yeah, the car keys. He has the keys to death and hates and hell. Which means this, death is no longer your enemy. Death is no longer something you have to fear. Death is not the, the end. Death is, he's got the keys, which means this, he has all authority, he has all power. Death has been defeated in Jesus Christ. And what we're gonna see in Revelation is this, it's a beautiful love story of how Jesus is coming back for his kids. Amen? His return is our motivation to stay on his mission. Man, we got a long way to go. And I believe God is going to establish us on a mission. He's going to give you vision. I believe marriages are going to be fixed through this. I believe that people's lives that maybe you've seemed depressed, you're going to realize there is vision and purpose for your life. And you're going to realize the sum total of this life is not your full experience. Jesus is at work. He is coming back. So let's have a little fun with this. Since we're talking about the end of the world, we're going to have a prep kit each week. All right? Ready for your prep? Your prep kit? So let's prep for the end of the world. Here we are, three things in your prep kit I want you to take home, all right? Number one, pray that you'll anticipate his arrival. I can't tell you how often we don't think about enough that Jesus could come back. It should be on the forefront of our minds every day. Jesus, you could come back today. You could come back today. Well, guess what? If I tell you to just think about Jesus coming back every day, you might do that for a day, maybe a week, maybe two weeks. This is something I want us to lifelong, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Do we want Jesus to come back? Or is it like, eh, I just, I just want this to happen in my life. Or I just want this to happen in my life first. Or, or, you know, to receive this. Listen, here's the deal. I understand that. I've said that too. I was like, God, let me be married. Let me have kids. Let me go to Hawaii, right? All those things. But listen, it's okay to have desires of wanting to do things on earth. But man, we're missing it if we think that heaven's going to be worse. We need to pray that we anticipate his arrival so we'll be on mission. Number two, we need to prioritize his mission right now. And finally, number three, pursue those disconnected from the gospel. 
and encouraged the discouraged. We need to be an encouraging church. People are hearing discouraging things way more than hearing encouraging things. And by the way, again, it's not a one-to-one ratio, discouraging, encouraging. We need to flood people with the truth and encouragement of Jesus Christ. We need to flood people with encouragement. We need to be encouraging people. I just don't like to be fake. No, be be nice, okay? All right? The Bible tells us, Ephesians chapter 4, to dwell on what's excellent. And if you have to find what's excellent, get the shovel and start digging. Find what's excellent in every situation. You need to be people that find the goodness of God in all and every situation. I'm not telling you to be Pollyanna, like, life is great, my house burnt down. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in any and all situation, you can give praise. Next week, we're gonna look at the majesty of Jesus in a cautionary tale of seven churches. I've gone astray. Well, six of the seven churches went astray. In a few weeks' time, too, we'll also take a deep dive of why I think Jesus is coming soon, and then we'll get into different views of of how things will unfold, and we'll begin to unfold the future. It it, it really, it takes to chapter six for us to go full-blown future in Revelation, all right? Because right now we're seeing a conversation with God and John on the island of Patmos, but he's going to begin giving him visions of the future, future things that have yet to happen even in our time. Let's pray. Let's ask God to make our hearts ready for him. We're just going to spend some moments with him right now. And again, online, I just encourage you to do this as well. Let's just wait on him right now. Let's wait on him. Let's ask him to prepare our hearts to be ready for his second coming. Let's ask him to prepare our hearts to prioritize our life, to be on his mission in everything that we do, whether it be our jobs, our friends, our hangouts, that we're bringing out just the love of Jesus Christ in in, in everything, through our actions, through our words, through, through everything. So Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you come upon your church this morning? Will you fill us? For the person that's never sought your spirit, Lord, I pray that you'd fill them. For the person that feels empty this morning, fill them anew. Help us see what you see. Just wait on him. As we wait on him, I want to talk to anybody in this room right now where you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus. One of, the, one of the biggest warnings Jesus gave in Scripture was in Matthew 7, 22. He said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in your name, to drive out demons in your name, or do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I think the scariest thing is when people assume that they're right with God. Today, you can become right with God. Don't assume it. Some of you are like, well, I'm not assuming. I know I've never done it. You can receive Jesus right now. It's not about what you've done religiously in the past or unreligiously in the past. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you even did in the present. Jesus receives you as you are right now. And so if you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day for you to say yes. Just tell Jesus, Jesus, I want to be made sure that I'm forgiven by you. I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. Just tell him that. Tell him that you believe that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that he rose from the dead. Just talk to him right now. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you want to make sure of it right now. You want to place your faith and trust in him alone, that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming back. If that's you, 
you've assumed it, but you don't want to assume it any longer, or you know you've never done it, today is your day to receive Jesus. If that's you, no one looking around, just slip up your hand and say, yep, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. I see you. Awesome. Who else? Awesome. Today is your day. You're like, I want to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Just slip up that hand. Anybody else? Great. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for those that are saying yes to you today. They're placing their faith and trust in you alone. As we continue just to wait on God, I just, I just want to, us to be receptive. How? How is God preparing you to be ready? What is he speaking? We would love to hear that. In fact, if you can direct message us on our Facebook page and let us know, give us, let us know what God is saying uh, in this service. Uh, how is he preparing you to be ready? We would love to hear what God is speaking to you, but he's speaking to many of you in this room today. We wanna hear it so we can pray for you. Some of you, it means that you have, you've placed all your faith uh, in what you're gonna do in retirement. Retirement's not bad, uh, but it's, it's not forever, it's not eternity. For some of you, you're placing all your faith in some friendships or relationships that, have, that are wobbly. And listen, we all want healthy relationships, right? but that's not the sum total of who you are, right? Some of you, you're placing your faith and trust in uh, the idea of maybe getting married someday. And that's, listen, that's not a bad thing, but listen, that's, that's not what your sum total of your life is. And the reason why I'm saying these things, these, all those things weren't bad. It's just that sometimes that's where all our energies are going and all of our attentions. There's something you've been asking God for and it just, man, it, he has not said yes. Or there's something you asked God for and he said no and you're upset about it. Listen, here's the deal. We trust that God is all sovereign, unknowing, all knowing. And we need to take the energies that we've been, that, and, and the thoughts and, uh, and, and everything that we've been placing and that one singular point and we need to put it back to God and say, God, you are the Lord over this. That's how he's preparing some of you. So Father, I pray that he would prepare us as we go through uh, your word, the book of Revelation that we be a church that's informed, we be a church that's ready, that our eyes are open in culture, but God, that we would be a church on mission. Lord, I pray for every single person that is in the lives of these people in this church, that God, that we would see a harvest, that we would see people say yes to you, we'd see people's lives restored to you, God. So God, I just pray you place names now on people's minds and give them the courage, give them the courage to connect to them with the love of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.